In the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. Today is the fourth Sunday of Tut, but because it is the 29th of the month, um, the, tw- the 29th, we always commemorate the Feast of the Annunciation, um, the Nativity, and the Resurrection, and because they all occur on the 29th of those months. So, um, Feast of the Annunciation, 29th of Baramhat, 29th of Kiach for Nativity, and traditionally, uh, the resurrection was celebrated on the 20, was believed to be on the 29th of Baramhat also. And so because it is the 29th, so the readings supersede whatever the readings would normally be for that particular day. Okay, so that's why you notice that today the, the tune is a joyful tune. Um, you know, last week it's annual, next week it's going to be annual, right? But today is joyful because, um, because of the 29th. The only time we don't use the 29th when it does not supersede the readings is um, like um, is the period that is outside of uh, the Virgin's uh, Annunciation. Okay, so that would be so if the Annunciation is let's say like April uh, and Nativity is January, so February, March, basically those two months is outside of that period. So that period we do not. Um, the 29th does not supersede the, the, the reading of that day. And we typically, we typically read from the reading of the Annunciation because it um, is sort of the beginning of God's economy of salvation of the three feasts. Today we read about Archangel Gabriel, his visit to the Virgin St. Mary, and he began to explain to her what, <clears throat> what is the calling for her to do. And it was, of course, very difficult for her, for her to understand. But the archangel ended his prophecy by saying, for, for with God, nothing will be impossible. And so I reflected on the gospel reading, and I thought, why did the archangel say nothing will be impossible? He didn't say nothing is impossible. Actually, in the Bible, it doesn't say nothing is impossible. In, we, we have that in like the liturgical prayers, like in baptism, um, but in the scripture, it's nothing, for with, for with God, nothing will be impossible. And to me, it means, when he's saying this, it means it's personal to her. That what I'm saying to you, that with God, nothing will be impossible. What the future holds, it's not going to be impossible. Regarding everything that I just prophesied to you, everything will be okay. Everything is doable. And doable in the context of what? She's dedicated her life to chastity, worship, service, caring for especially the, the female believers. And um, the archangel is reassuring her that her offering, everything that she sought to offer, is still doable in the context of this calling. There will be some modification to what you had in mind. But at the end of the day, your desire to do according to the will of God will remain with you. And one of the virtues that St. Mary is, of course, known for is her chastity. Uh, and St. Luke referred to her in the gospel today two times as the virgin. And so we have a lot of kids here in the church, so clearly chastity isn't the calling for most of us. But the life of dedication to the will of God is beyond the physical definition of chastity and virginity. 
For most of us, it is the purity of life. Purity of body, purity of mind and heart, regardless of the context of marriage or not. In one of the litanies, if you remember in the liturgy, what do we say? We say, and all the servants and all who are in and the what? The, the purity of all your faithful people. So in the litany, we're, we're, we're praying for the purity of the chaste. We're, we're praying, praying for the purity of all the people. St. Mary's righteousness was not gifted to her. She sought after the life of virginity and purity. And I was recently reading some stories from the Paradise of the Fathers, which is a collection of stories and writings of different desert fathers of the church and their ascetic ways of living, which we're not necessarily called to, to do in their exact form. But maybe we're called to pursue the spirit of, the, of those practices. And I felt that there were th at least three different sort of titles for those who desire to live a life of purity <clears throat> in the context of being members of society. And again, there's, there's so many, but I, I had simply come across, came across a few of them. And sort of the three titles that were focused on in, in these stories was that the, the, the person of purity or the, the pure man is the naked man, the wandering man, and the hungry man. The naked man protects himself at all costs, not necessarily because he is scared of temptation, but because sin and constant focus on worldly things becomes ugly to him, to the point that the only option is to flee, to leave behind those things and run. There was this monk who was in the desert and found, uh, this monk found an old naked man. And the, this monk would carry a garment on his shoulder. And he wanted to go meet up with this old naked man in the, in the desert. And so the monk was yelling at him, saying like, for God's sake, wait for me. And the old man kept running and yelled back, for God's sake, I am fleeing from you. Finally, the monk threw down his garment so that he could chase him. And the old man stopped and waited for the monk and said, as you did cast away from you the things of the world, I waited for you. The monk asked the old man for a piece of advice. And so he said, flee from the children of men and keep silence and you shall live. Sure, maybe we're not going to unfriend people. Uh, it's not about even about Christian, not Christian but being around people who focus just on the worldly things versus being surrounding ourselves with people who focus on the life of purity, the life of holiness, the Christian life. St. Mary, she left her belongings, so to speak, because after the archangel spoke to her, she fled to her cousin to serve her instead of caring for herself, right? Like if, any, if anyone finds out I'm pregnant, okay, what are you gonna do? You're going to start taking your vitamins, and you're going to start, like, you know, uh, you know, exercising right, and you're going to start looking at your diet and, and all of this stuff. But her first reaction was, I, want, I just found out that my cousin is pregnant. I'm going to go and serve her. So she left her garment, so to speak, to go chase after goodness and service. She continued her calling. When she heeded to this calling, when she heeded to her calling of, of being the mother of God, she didn't just sort of say, okay, well, the archangel, the archangel simply came to me, so I'm gonna, I got this all, I got, the, I got this, I'll take care of it. But no, she, she saw that 
one, one of the respected elders to care for her, not just uh, to care for her uh, you know, financial needs or whatever it is, but to, to lead her in this life of continued purity and holiness. If only we saw our temptation the same way, that it is a danger to my soul or to my family and that I must flee from it. We sometimes walk on the edge. We like to see how close we get to the edge without falling, but the naked man runs away. Then there is the wandering man. The wandering man keeps his boundaries. There was a monk who was called a wanderer, but uh, meaning more of like someone who lives in the mountains who doesn't necessarily claim a particular home in the mountains. And people came to know him and he'd give people, um, he would weave baskets and he would give them to people to go and sell to, in the markets and they'd bring back money for him for his simple needs. And he began to have the thought of going to sell the baskets himself because he felt you know, I feel like I'm burdening, I'm burdening the people. And of course, they love to do this for, uh, for, for him. And, uh, and so he said, I don't want to burden the people. I'm going to go and do it myself. And one thing led to another after he continued to go to the market, into the city, into the area that he wasn't normally a wanderer of. He began conversing with people and a number of visits, he fell into sin with someone. And of course, he spent much of his life in repentance. But when did this monk experience joy? It was when he was a wanderer, when he didn't have a home, so to speak. But when this monk began to establish this, um, this relationship with this, this market, it became a sort of home for him. And so the wanderer now had a home, something that was regular as part of his life. And yes, it was, um, it was, out of what he thought to be of good intention. And during his repentance, he felt God's compassion and mercy and prayed, saying, nothing is impossible with you. And he began to experience his joy. Sometimes we do things with good intentions, but if we start to find ourselves falling apart, then maybe we can come to conclude that maybe it was deception. And for us to always be aware. The wanderer is aware. The wanderer creates boundaries and says, I know that I can't go outside of this place, nor do I establish myself um, a permanent dwelling. That's why in the liturgy we say, um, we say, um, those are Lord whose souls you have taken, repose them in the paradise of joy, the place, uh, what is it? For you are sojourners in this place. Thanks, Abuna. Uh, for you who are sojourners in this place. So this is, this is a temporary place. But do we see this place as a temporary place? Or do we, do we try to establish as much footprint as we can in this place? But God is always merciful. He's always compassionate. The wanderer desire, desires to remain in his place of tranquility. Then there's the hungry man. So we said that there was the naked man, the wandering man, and then there's the hungry man. He never sees himself as fulfilled. He's always desiring repentance and forgiveness. In St. Mary's praise, she says, my spirit has rejoiced in God my savior, for he has regarded the lowly state of his maidservant. St. Mary, the, the, one that we, the one that we consider to be the most righteous person, the most righteous human to have ever lived, 
aside from Christ, and, uh, and the greatest saint among all the saints, and says, for he has regarded the lowly state of his maidservant. And there was, a, there was a monk who wanted to live a life of seclusion in the desert, and he came across an old man that he discovered was a bishop, and had admitted that he was weak during the time of persecution, and he gave into sacrificing to idols during, the, during this time of persecution. And the bishop spent 49 years in the desert, and he didn't find, he says, I didn't find hope for forgiveness until the end of his 48th year. But surely, if you're in the desert for 49 years, you have hope of forgiveness. But the expression is that he always found himself, he didn't give the opportunity to, uh, to simply take advantage of God's mercy. But he always saw himself in a lowly, in a lowly state. But, so, so he's basically saying that uh, don't lend to, don't uh, take advantage until the year you plan on dying, is what he's saying. So the message of the hungry man is not to go into the desert for 50 years in despair of a prior sin. The spirit of the hungry man is that repentance is a life. It is hunger for reconciliation with God. And we have deserts in our life. We don't have to go to the physical desert. We don't have to go to a place necessarily you know, that's 45 minutes or three hour drive in order to find a desert. Our rooms can be our desert. Um, the church can be a desert. How many times have you come to the church bringing all of your, all of your, your guilt and all of your sadness and all of that in order to leave with joy because of God's mercy and his compassion? So many places and so many, so many things in our life that is, becomes our desert. Could be personal time, maybe in prayer or silence. And again, not for a couple years, but all the way until our death. We, of course, ask that the Lord grant all of us purity of heart, body, and mind. To him be the glory, both now and ever, unto the ages of all ages. Amen. Uh.